Today I want to bring a message to you that may be one of our most important messages in this series. The text says this in Mark chapter 2 verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. As he passed by he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax office and he said to him follow me. So he arose and followed. By the way, Levi, there's Matthew. Verse 15, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? I love what they said it to the disciples, but verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sermon today is simply Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners, and It is an important message. I'm not going to blow your socks off today with any new revelation or new truth that you've never heard before. And by the way, if that ever happens, you might want to be leery a little bit of that brand new teaching that no one else has ever heard of in their life. I'm not going to bring you anything today that you've probably not heard before. But what I hope to do today is to show you a biblical Example of Jesus showing you and I how we are to interact with those around us. Jesus is the ultimate example. He's the ultimate example of everything. But Jesus, the friend of sinners, pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that we today follow your lead and follow your example. God, that you use us as Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, the eyes and ears of Jesus in this world today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump right in this morning. I understand the time. I want to respect your time. And I want to make sure that we get to our conclusion this morning because that's really where the practical application is. Today you'll notice in the sermon that many of the points that we're going to make um, are some of them we've made in the last week or so. And so I don't want to be repetitive this morning. I want to get to what God has for us today. But I want to be faithful to the text. So uh, number one, I want us to see this. The first truth, we see the mission of Jesus continues. The mission of Jesus continues in verse 13. He went out again by the sea. And all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. We remember back in the first chapter of the book of Mark in verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We remember once again back in the first chapter of the book of Mark in verse 38. But he said to them, Jesus says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. In this chapter, 
last week, verse 2 in Mark chapter 2, immediately many gathered together. Remember they were in the house? It was jam-packed. Why were they gathered together? So there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he, Jesus, preached the word to them. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here today because we have done so in the last few weeks. But we all know Jesus' purpose when he came to this earth was teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was opening up his word and sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I say as a pastor, many things occupy my mind and my heart as we continue to grow as a church, as we continue to do renovations as they come about, and and as we take on other projects, and as God sends us people. But may my heart and my mind, may my bandwidth not be completely taken up with those things, and may I save bandwidth for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. As a pastor, The pastor is supposed to be given to the word and to prayer. And would you pray for me on the second part? Because I'll be honest with you, I can hop into study and I can roll and I can be like, man, God is showing me this. But if I'm not careful, my prayer time won't mesh in with that. And I'll be all about preparation, 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 and not about prayer, prayer, prayer. But as a pastor, may I keep my focus personally, on the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to crave preaching. I want to crave teaching. May I say it this way? If you crave teaching and preaching, if you look forward with anticipation to hearing from God's word on Sundays or in your connect group, or maybe you watch or listen to people online, if you soak up the theological teachings here at Keystone Church, then I would say this. I think you're passionate about what Jesus was passionate about the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Now that that doesn't mean that you remember every little thing that was taught in every sermon. I was joking with somebody. I think you could wait about thirty minutes after the sermon, oftentimes, to say, "Hey, what was the sermon about today?" And they're like, people are like trying to recall it. I get it. I understand. There, I've been there before. But can I say this? The teaching and the preaching of God's word was supreme in the ministry of Jesus. If there's one thing that I think God has continued to bring up to me as I'm studying through the book of Mark, is it's not really about the miracles. It's more about the message. And can I even say this? I think what we're going to see as we dig deeper. It's not about the miracles. It's more about the message. It's most about the messenger. It's most about the messenger. May we always at Keystone Church be committed to what I believe Jesus in his earthly ministry was committed to. And that is the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Bible preaching. So much so that we're committed so much to Bible preaching that if, if we happen to bring someone in here who reads a, one verse and shuts their Bible and never goes back and reads through the text and preaches through the text, that we go, hey, something wasn't quite right about that. Somebody comes in here and gives us a little bit of fluff and, and, and let, there were five stones back in the day. Let me give you five stones that we don't need to remove from our church and just whatever they want to say. If we hear something like that, I, I hope that we have a, such a craving for God's word that we go, just give me the word. Just give me the word. <clears throat> By the way, substance is more important than style. And I don't need to put you to sleep this morning. I don't want to put you to sleep this morning. But substance is more important than style. Substance is more important than screaming. 
this morning. But the mission of Jesus was to teach his word. Secondly, so we saw the mission of Jesus continue. Secondly, the addition of unlikely disciples continues. Look at verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed. We remember in chapter 1 and verse 16, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and, and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him, went after Jesus. So Jesus now has four fishermen, stinking, smelling like fish. Notice they didn't go back and take a shower before they started following him. Four fishermen and a money grubber. Four fishermen and an in-person IRS agent. They didn't call you. They didn't send you a letter. No. In person. I'm sure he was everyone's favorite. and People celebrated his birthday and gave him Christmas presents, right? Notice, though, that Jesus seems to call... The unlikely. Jesus seems to call the normal. I used to say Jesus tends to call the average. I'm, I may be even to the point now I think Jesus calls the below average. Interestingly enough, Jesus always calls these average normal people while they were actually doing their jobs. He called the four fishermen while they were fishing or mending their nets. Hey, he called the tax collector when he was standing there doing, performing his duties. And may I say this, if you're like, God never seems to move me in one direction or another. God never seems to be calling me specifically to do anything. Well, guess what? Get busy doing what you have to be doing right now. God tends to show up while you're doing what you're doing, right? God doesn't typically show up uh, when you are, are completely, uh, 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 when you're pulled away from what he's call, called you to do already, he's not going to call you to do something different. So he calls all these men while they are already working. And by the way, you might feel like you are unlikely this morning, like you are the average or below average. You may feel this morning like you have nothing to offer to Jesus and that you just don't measure up this morning or maybe you don't have the talent that somebody else has this morning or maybe you don't have the intellect or the theological concepts and doctrine in your head that other people have you may feel like that you may not bring much good to the kingdom of God as a disciple and let me say this you're right I hate to be the bearer of bad news you're right but God wants to use you anyway in fact God resists the proud he gives grace to the humble Jesus spent his entire ministry fighting the Pharisees the religious the intellectual. He spent his ministry fighting those, but he loved calling the unlikely. He loved calling those who just had to be willing to surrender and say, okay, I'll follow. I'll leave my boat. Hey, dad, we're gone. 
the unlikely disciples that Jesus called. And so he continued on his mission. He continued calling unlikely disciples, but we see thirdly the commitment to sinners continues. The commitment to sinners continues. Look at verse 15. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. If you remember last week, the man who was paralyzed was let down through the roof. And you remember it wasn't the physical need that Jesus healed first. What was it? The spiritual need. He was coming after the heart of the sinner. He was coming after the heart of the sinner before he, before he even healed the body of the sinner. He came after the heart of the sinner and he, his commitment to the sinner. And Jesus here did not simply forgive Matthew's sin and move on. Jesus didn't just heal Matthew and go on his way. No, Jesus called Matthew to follow him. And then Jesus entered Matthew's house. He sat at Matthew's table. He hung out with Matthew's friends. And he identified himself as the servant savior who was willing to get down in the trenches with sinners. He was willing to be seen with the religious outcasts. And we're not going to spend as much time right now on that because that's the way we're going to close our sermon today. But just as we're moving, Jesus' commitment to sinners. But lastly this morning, I want us to see this, the mission of the Pharisees continues. We're only a chapter and a half in. And we have continued to see this. Look at verse 16 of our text. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Praise God. Look at uh, earlier up in our chapter from last week, in our, in our text from last week, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Pharisees continued their commitment to a life of judgmentalism. The Pharisees continued their commitment to focus on the negative. The Pharisees continued their commitment to questioning every good thing. The Pharisees continued. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here today because I felt like we smacked Pharisees in the face last week for 30 minutes. I don't want to smack Pharisees in the face again today. But let me just say this. Here's another example of Jesus doing something for someone and calling a sinner and fellowshipping with a sinner and the Pharisees immediately begin to question. And the Pharisees immediately begin to judge. And may I just ask you this morning, is your natural lean to show grace or is your natural lean to exercise judgment? I ask you that question this morning that you need to answer in your own heart. Is your natural lean to show grace or is your natural lean to cast judgment? And may I say, if your natural lean is to cast judgment, I'm not telling you you're a bad person. I'm saying that you need to ask Jesus to change your heart. I'm saying you need to ask Jesus to move you from Pharisee to follower. I'm saying this morning that you need to ask Jesus to remove the judgmental spirit that maybe was put into you from the time you were a small child. Listen, I fought judgmentalism because I was raised in it. And I've had to fight it. 
And there are milestone days in my life where I say I went all day today, interacted with X amount of people, and I didn't judge anyone based upon this. And I'm like, praise God, the Holy Spirit's working in my life. Ten years ago, that would not have been the case. I pray that God continues to move me from Pharisee to follower, from judgmental to grace. I pray that I'm continuing down that journey, and we're all on that journey in different spots. But suffice it to say, the Pharisees were solidifying their mission. Jesus performs some act. They are there with judgmental glances and judgmental eyes. They're right there. Hey, listen, they're the ones paying attention. They're the ones in church that aren't falling asleep. They're the ones that are hanging on every word Jesus said. Not to change his life, not to change their life, but for them to judge. For them to, so they appeared as one of us. They appeared, in fact, as a leader in the religious world. But their mission was to undermine and question everything Jesus did. Well, may I say this morning, this text, I could have preached this text just like that. We could have prayed. We could have gone and eaten some Mexican food. Isn't that what we typically? But in my opinion, the most important thing we've spoken of today is that third truth. The commitment to sinners continues. You see, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. But he did come to call sinners. Verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this morning, may I say this, if our church has to lean one direction or the other, may our church lean the direction of reaching out to the sinners and the outcasts and the guests. And you say, but I've been here since day one. Listen, we, I think we try to do our best to serve and to love and to bless our church family. But if we have to lean one direction or the other, may our church family lean the direction of outreach and bringing them in and loving and serving. May we lean that direction if we're going to lean one or the other this morning. But may I say this? As Jesus was committing his life to calling the sinner, that he came for sinners, he didn't just come to preach to sinners. He became friends with sinners. He went out to eat and broke bread and was visibly seen with sinners. He, was, he became comfortable sitting at the table with sinners. Listen, sinners weren't just somebody he interacted with on a nonchalant basis. No, in this text, he was willing to be identified. With sinners. May I ask you this morning? Who sits at your table? Or let me reword the question. At whose table do you sit? Family? Certainly we ought to some. Is that all? Uh, us four and no more. Us six and no more. Us seven and no more. However many, look, you just keep going up. 
Whose table are you sitting at? The outcast? Like, Josh, are you sure? Like, you're, you're okay with what he or she is doing? And you're willing to sit with them? Who's sitting at your table? Like-minded friends? Those who think the same way that you think? Those who voted the same way you voted? I'll stop there. We don't like that one. I didn't know. I had no clue that Republicans and Democrats could still be friends. People who see things the same way you see them? Since we got people watching online, people that believe the same conspiracies you believe? People that are just like you. Man, they root for the same team you root for. They got the same philosophy about everything that you have. Is that who we sit with? One of my biggest struggles as a pastor is sitting with people that are radically different. Because I've got to, listen, I've got a lot of people to serve and to sit with. And I have to be very intentional about Shelby right down here. Anybody know who Shelby is? He runs Whisk and Rye. I have to be very intentional about my Wednesday mornings. You know why? Depending on how long he wants to talk, I spend anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes with someone who is nowhere close to being a believer. I don't like coffee. I've committed to not eating breakfast, too, my intermittent fasting. I don't eat anything. I've never given him a penny. But I have to become comfortable. I have to become comfortable. Who's sitting at your table? Unchurched? Dechurched? Unsaved? Certainly. Acts chapter 2 explains to us the importance of fellowship with believers. Amen. And I think we ought to balance everything we're doing with that. But can I say it shouldn't be 90% fellowshipping with people just like you and 10% others. I'm asking you this morning who's sitting at your table. The easy or the difficult? The messy or the clean? Those that you can have easy conversation with, go on down the road, have fun, move on. Or those that have hurts. Those that have problems. Those who have needs that maybe if the families are sitting at the table, you have to say, kids, could you go in the other room while we, while we really talk about, what, about this? I'm asking you this morning, who sits at your table? If I'm not careful, I'm going to sit right here at this table. And on one side of me is going to be Jeff. And on the other side of me is going to be Tim. Oh, I'm going to expand. I guess I'll let my wife and kids come. They can sit right here. Zach and Hannah, you guys, y'all are cool. Y'all are in, yeah. Melissa, Tracy. But what about Shelby? What about my neighbor who moved that we still stay in contact with in the area? 
What about fill in the blank? For you, what about that coworker? What about that person that lives next door to you that has lived next door to you for years? What about that person that you went to high school with back in the day and you've reconnected? Who's sitting at your table? Is it sinners or is it only saints? Because of the example of Jesus this morning, here are some practical takeaways from today's text. Thinking, who's sitting at your table? Number one, we should not be content to exist in our safe Christian bubble. There's safety there. I think we ought to have a circle. I think we ought to have people who are very close to us, who love Jesus. I think we ought to have people that sit at our table regularly, that encourage us in our faith and encourage us in our walk with God. But I do not think we need to live in that bubble. I grew up a pastor's kid, went to a Christian school that was connected to the church that I went to. If I didn't know what day it was, I'd have no idea if I was going to school or church. Like, I'm just going to the same spot every day. You know, it used to crack me up. Man, we're having Easter Sunday. I want you to invite all your unchurched and lost friends to come for Easter Sunday. And I'm going, I ain't got none. Everybody knows right here. Probably didn't say it in that bad of a southern accent. Sorry, Sarah. She's like, why do you do the southern accent thing sometimes? I don't know. I didn't have any. I didn't have any friends that weren't like me at the time. Certainly as I grew older and got jobs and things like that, 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 that expanded. But may I say we are not called to simply live in a bubble. We must break out of that bubble. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, we are specifically called to love and fellowship with unbelievers. We are called to do that. In fact, in the Great Commission, it says that we're to go and make disciples of all people, all the nations. There's not a person that doesn't fall under that category. And if we are to go, he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinner. And if we are going to be a follower of Jesus this morning, we must become comfortable with unbelievers. We must become comfortable interacting with and loving and serving and blessing unbelievers. If we're going to be followers of Jesus. Now, if we want to be good little church members, feel free. Live in your bubble. Come here. Sit in your bubble. Only speak to people in your bubble. Go home to your bubble. If that's, what, if that's what you want out of your life, please. But if you want to follow Jesus and you want to be a, a committed follower of him, you must be willing to fellowship with, you must be willing to be identified with the people that no one else want to be, wants to be identified with. But here's the reality. Thirdly, these are takeaways this morning. We should anticipate the messy reality 
of the lives of those to whom we minister. I got to tell you, if we're willing to take those steps to step into our culture, to step into our world that we live in, and this table becomes an open table, then guess what? It'll get messy sometimes. There's going to be some people that we interact with that we're not really sure how to explain it to our kids. There's going to be some conversations that we have to have that, as Sarah and I have said in three and a half years, we didn't know we'd be having conversations like this with people pastoring. It's okay. It's messy. It's messy. Living like Jesus and following Christ, it's messy. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay. You ever been in someone's house and you feel like, do you guys actually live here? Or is this like a showroom? Like, listen, it's okay. Look, it's okay. That right there. It's okay. A bunch of women are like, oh, stop it. It's okay. Listen, if we're going to serve people and we're going to love people like Jesus loved them, we're going to be with the drunks. We're going to be with the outcasts. We're going to be with the people that no one else would expect us to be with. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Notice this time the disciples didn't even go to him. I mean, the, the Pharisees didn't even go to him. Who they go to? His disciples. People talk about you to other people. People will bring, hey, did you see what they do at their church? Or did you see? It's okay. It's okay. I'm willing to get messy. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. Because number four, and lastly, we should expect to be comfortable with criticism. Hey, if we're going to be like Jesus, Keystone Church family, if we are going to love and serve and bless others and be a friend of sinners, we should expect and become comfortable with criticism. Bring it on. If my criticism is that I'm spending too much time with worldly people, that I'm reaching out too much to people, that I'm hanging around people that have this or this or they do this or they are this, bring it on. Bring it on. I'll take that criticism every single day of the week. Jesus, the friend of sinners. I thought about playing the song for you this morning. I'm not sure if you've heard it. it. Speaks to me. But nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against. You know why? Because we won't spend time with sinners. And church family, as I said, I really struggle with that. The easy thing for me to do is come in every day and go into my office and do the church duties. By the way, if I'm not here, I hope I'm either at one of your houses or I'm buying something for your kids or I'm with a sinner. 
In fact, I hope that you run into me one day at lunch and you're like, man, who's that dude you're with? You know why? Because if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to become comfortable being uncomfortable. I've got to become comfortable being around the people. Can I say it this way? That my parents warned me about. (laughs) I don't mean that specifically to my parents. You need to become comfortable being around the people that your parents warned you about. If. If you're going to be like Jesus. I'll throw that out at you in closing. If you want comfortable Christianity, if you want the same old, same old, if you want to just get up, say your quick prayer, read your chapter of Proverbs, move on with your life, come to church. Man, I like that song. I didn't like that song. I like it when so-and-so's on the team. I don't like it when the other person's on the team. Come on. Hey, so-and-so spoke to me. Did you see that? He didn't speak to her. He didn't speak to me. If that's what you want, hey, look, feel free. That's fine. But I hope we create such a culture here that if you want to live that way, you're going to be the one that's uncomfortable. This becomes a place of comfortability for people who want to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to be the friend of sinners. I leave you with Jesus' words. I did not come to call the righteous. Interpreted, I did not come for the saved and the church crowd. I came to call them, all around us, to repentance. He came to seek and to save the lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And as a follower of Jesus, may that be who I am. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.